Good morning. I'm David Fisk, one of the pastors here at Intown. Glad to be with you. We're starting a new series called Managing Grief. A little bit different than our last series. Don't worry, it won't be all like everybody's crying the whole time. Okay? Like, it's okay. Uh, The last series was in Psalms. I'm actually using a psalm today. I'm going to use that for our passage. And you see, the, the reason I want to use the psalm is because psalms are the official hymn book of the Israelite people. And so they are words that are given to us by God for our experiences in life. So whether you go through things that are happy and delightful and you're thankful and want to praise God, you have psalms like that. When there are times in your life where you are sad and heartbroken and grieving, there are psalms like that. And so in his grace and his mercy, he has given us this blessing, this psalms book to put words to our life experiences. And so Stacy is going to come and read for us Psalm 88. Oh, Lord. God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if our series is managing grief, it's a pretty good one, right? Amen. Yeah. 
Amen. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Presbyterian. All right. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you've given it to us, that you have put words to our experiences in life and that we can sing them back to you even when they're hard, even when we're hopeless, even when we're full of sorrow or cynicism and or specifically grief. We thank you for that. And Lord, as we look at these emotions and look at your word, will you please bless us? Help us to know what it is you want us to do as a result. Help us to know what it is you want us to believe as a result. Help us to know what you want us to love as a result of looking at your word and being here this morning. May your Holy Spirit bless us. Amen. David, you can choose any cereal on the aisle. Okay, remember, we don't eat sugar cereals, but you can choose any of them. That's my mom when I was in first grade. I don't know where my brothers were, but who cares? Like, I was with my mom, and she let me pick. So I walked up and down the aisle, and I get to Rice Krispies. And I'm like, oh, I want that one. We get it. I'm so excited. Go home, pour a big bowl of it. First grade me sits down, you know, like with a big spoon, like an adult spoon, you know, and I'm excited. She pours it in the bowl. What? Where are the strawberries? I wanted the strawberries like the box said. And I began to sob because there were no strawberries in my bowl. And she was like, oh, sweetie, that's for advertising. They're not really in the cereal. (laughs) And I mean, I was crying. I was so upset. You know what I was doing? Grieving. And I know you're like, oh, no, grieving's for, you know, when people die. And I'm like, stop talking like that. And yes, it is for dying. There's a hierarchy of grief or like a spectrum, okay, like little g to big g. But you need to think of it like kind of a hierarchy and how there are big ones and how there are little ones that we go through in our lives day to day. Now, before we go any further, the series is called Managing Grief. No, I forgot to say that at the beginning, but it's called Managing Grief. And I want to define that word grief for us, okay? This is the, the definition that we're going to use over the next few weeks So when I say grief, I'm talking about overwhelming sorrow from loss. Overwhelming sorrow from loss. And so if that's what we're looking at grief as, that means everybody in this room, everyone online, everyone in the world has experienced this. All of us have experienced loss. All of us have experienced sorrow over loss. Right? Like, it does include death, but there's so many more examples. Right? Like, miscarriage or infertility. Or maybe your friend moves away and that relationship's cut off. Or maybe your hopes and your dreams of the future and what you want to do are taken away from you. Or maybe you lose your job. Maybe you have to move and leave the life that you have built behind. Maybe you have to move out of your home that you loved and have such great memories and even hard memories. And you have to go to a new house and you miss your old one. Maybe it's your health. 
physically, you lose abilities. Mentally, you might lose abilities. You might get an illness, a disease. I learned this one through watching my friend's Instagram story, that when you send your child off to college, like, it makes you cry. I didn't know that, you know? Um, I did know that, but I was like, oh, that's grief. And um, I was like, wow, she's experiencing that. Maybe it's grief in your marriage, that your marriage isn't going the way you wanted it to go. Maybe you're grieving because you don't have a marriage, and you really, really want one. This is all grief. These are all examples of overwhelming sorrow from loss. And it's not just like one thing where it's like, here's this one thing, and I get sad about it, and then that's it. It's like, no, this is going to affect your whole life. This is going to affect your spouse. It's going to affect your kids. If you have grandkids, it's going to affect your grandkids. If it, it's going to affect your social life. It's going to affect your relationships with other people. It's going to affect your relationship with God. It's not one domino. It's the domino that pushes all the other ones down. Because grief affects everything. Okay? And every loss, I want you to understand, every loss is valid. Like that first grade David, that little boy, his loss was valid. He was so sad. I know, I mean, dry your eyes and we'll keep going, but right? Like every loss is valid. And when we experience grace, like it takes a toll on us. I mean, you know that. It takes a toll on us mentally. It takes a toll on us physically. It takes a toll on us spiritually. It takes a toll on everything. So if we all experience grief, then what are we going to do? Well, grief and loss, like they rearrange our world and it changes everything. And here's the thing. You can't fix it. Do you hear me? You cannot fix grief. You can't solve it. You can't explain it away. You can't. And yet we try to do that all the time. I have a quote here from Parker Palmer in the book, Let Your Life Speak. It says, one of the hardest things we must do sometimes is to be present to another person's pain without trying to fix it, to simply stand respectfully at the edge of that person's mystery and misery. Is that easy? No. That's hard. That's difficult. But here's what I want you to see in Psalm 88 as we look at it. This is the, the takeaway that I, I want you to have from this whole series. If I had one takeaway, this is it, okay? I want to shift our focus away from solving grief and moving it to tending to grief. Tending, like caring, carrying grief, okay? And the first way that you do that is that you acknowledge your pain or your loss. You acknowledge that the strawberries weren't in the cereal. I'm sorry, David. Right? You acknowledge that. But then you have to go with what comes with that. 
And Steve kind of mentioned that before about cynicism, about anger, about despair, depressed, abandoned, feeling isolated, feeling broken. You felt that. You felt those feelings. I only know because I've, I've felt them too. Right? We live in a world where we all feel those at some point, and it's hard. And too often, too often we just want to get the pain over with, right? Do whatever you can just to get the pain over with, right? Because we think, oh my gosh, if I acknowledge the pain, I'm going to start crying, and I don't know if I'm ever going to stop. If I acknowledge the pain, I just don't know that I can come back, and I'll be okay. Like, if I don't acknowledge, or if I do acknowledge the pain, like, that's just a messy emotion. It is what it, it, is what it was. Just let it go. It's the past. Get over it. And we try to hurry through grief, right? Hurry up and get through the five stages of grief. Another takeaway, ready? Grief is not linear. Okay? The woman who wrote the book on grief, like, and came up with the five steps, do you know what she said? Grief is not linear. It's unpredictable. It's unpredictable. So let's look at Psalm 88. God has put words to these emotions, okay? So look how it opens, verses 1 and 2, and I'm not going to go through every single verse. You can thank me later. Every single verse, but we'll look at some of them. Psalm 88, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Right? He's crying out to the Lord. Crying out. He's not going, hey God, can you do this for me? Like, he's crying out. Okay? So that should tip you off to emotions right off the bat. Okay? And he's appealing to God earnestly, urgently. He's saying, day and night, please hear my cry. Day and night. Right? Like, this is raw emotion. And if, like, that doesn't do it for you, it's coming. Okay? He's showing, though, that he's hurting, that he's grieving. Let's look at verses 3 through 9. Verse 3. For my soul is full of troubles. So he's going, hear me. I got a lot of troubles going on. God, please help me. I'm hurting. Will you help me? What does he also say? Verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and grief. Verses 8 and 9, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. He feels shunned. He feels abandoned. He feels isolated from God. Where'd you go? Why are you doing this to me? Right? Like he feels like he's dying, going into the pit in the depths. So he's talking about, and worse, 
he's feeling like he doesn't have any hope. No hope. What do I do? Let's keep going. Verses 10 through 12. Do you work wonders for the dead? Oh my gosh, he's taking it up a notch. He's talking about death. But he's going to go on be further and talk about the afterlife. Do you, do you work wonders for the dead? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Like in your faithfulness of places of destruction? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Like he's saying, look, you're, you have cut me off. I don't feel your love and your faithfulness anymore. Is it, if, if I just die, like you won't be there. That's how I feel, though. I feel like I'm going to die, and you're not doing anything about it. Where are you? Where are you? And, like, do you feel his emotions? Do you feel the, the, the hurt and the loss and the desperation in his voice? I mean, he, he's hurting, like, he's not the guy that you're going to invite to lunch after church, right? You know? <laughs> like, uh, you, why don't you go over there? But he's hurting. He should be the guy that you invite to lunch. Verses 13 through 18, to end it, he continues to pray, but he feels like he doesn't feel like God's replying, and he starts repeating some of these same things of isolation and darkness. But he says in verse 14, Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? 16 and 17, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. I mean, do you hear what he's saying? Like, you've abandoned me. You've left me to die. You don't care. I have to experience your wrath now, too? This is serious. This is raw emotion. This is pain. And then how does he end? Most psalms end on a high note. How does this one end? You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Nobody's with me. All my friends who were supposed to be here, who were the ones who were going to console me, they're gone because of you. You're gone too. I'm all alone. I'm in the darkness. I might as well die. Right? Now, I want to say there is a difference between feelings and reality. Okay? So, you wouldn't say, okay, God's actually not abandoned you. His spirit is still with you. Like, okay, we get it. But there's a difference between feelings and reality. And what I want you to see is like, what is it that this guy's feeling? Like, how would you describe it? For me, I would think he's shaking his fist at God. He is, has his teeth gritted and he's yelling at God. He is not happy. He is angry. He is raw. He is alone, and he feels like he is in darkness. You feel that just in the psalm that he's written. You feel that. You sense that. 
And Psalm 88 really does lack resolution. Right? I mean, what does that say to you then? If there's no resolution here and he feels all of these negative feelings. It means that you have permission to feel those negative feelings and to say them to God. Because he's given you Psalm 88 to pray back to him, to sing back to him, to say back to him. You have permission to do that. You have permission to grieve. And actually, it's healthy for you to feel that way. It's healthy for you to name how bad it is. It's something that you need to tend to, not solve, tend to. Okay? And Psalm 88 validates that. Gives you permission to show how hard grief really is. Like, your pain really is that bad. And that means if you're broken, stop pretending. Be broken. If you're mad at God, stop faking it. Tell him. Tell him. Read Psalm 88 to him. That's what that means. That's what the Psalm's for. And let me tell you, you know this. God can handle your rage. God can handle your anger. God can handle your tears and your sadness. He can handle them. He can handle them. That's why he's given us the Psalms, that he put words to our emotions. He gave us Psalm 88 so we could pray it. And see, grief, again, it's this overwhelming sorrow from loss. It's like a hole gets torn into your life, and everything is rearranged. Everything hurts, and you don't just move on. This is one of my favorite writers, K.J. Ramsey. She's a prophet, prophetess. I don't want to insult the women in the room. Prophetess. She says, when we bypass the darkness, we kill courage. When we avoid the anguish, we bypass our healing. When we anesthetize our ache, we end up letting wounds fester that could be the place of our greatest healing and hope. I love that because she's saying, yeah, you got pain, but there's also hope. And we need to learn how to hold them in tension. Okay? And they're not always going to be like this. They're going to be like this, or this, or this, or this, or whatever. They're not always equal, right? It's unbalanced. But we have that, te- that tension where we're not solving grief. We're tending to it. We're not fixing it. We're carrying it and caring for it. And this psalm really is about overwhelming loss, and it really is about grief. But there's hope here. And I know you probably don't believe me, but let's look. There's hope here. Well, before I get there, there's hope of what? The hope is, the hope with grief is integration. The hope with grief is that you can integrate that hurt, that loss, that pain into your life. That's the goal. 
That's tending to your grief. It's not to deny it. It's not to shove it away. It's not to just overlook it. It's to incorporate it into your life. And this psalm is different than every other psalm because of this ending, because it ends in darkness and not in this uplifting way. So, let's look at this again. It's not explicit, though, but there is hope in the valley. There's hope, okay? Look at how he depicts God. How does he describe God? Look at verse 10. Do you work wonders for the dead? He knows God can work wonders. Look at verse 11. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? He knows that God has steadfast love. Verse 12. Your righteousness in the land of the forgiveness. He knows that God has righteousness. Right? And to whom does he run and cry to? To whom does he run and cry? The God of my salvation. He knows if I'm going to have life, it's through God. Okay? It's through God. Verse 9, my eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I'm coming to you. I'm not going to the other places. You are the only place that can be a refuge. Now, imagine for a second, hypothetically, that a pipe burst in the wall right there. <laughs> and water's coming out. Right? Hypothetically. You're not going to call an accountant. Love accountants, need them, call them for other things. You don't call an accountant. You call a plumber. Right? Well, that's what I want you to see. He is not calling an accountant. He is calling the plumber. He is calling God, not someone else. Did you just equate God with the plumber? Yes, I did. <laughs> they both deal in stuff. <laughs> See, I told you it wasn't going to be sad the whole time. But that's just how he, he's pleading. Verse 1, he's got this insistent appeal going to God over and over and over. Day and night, verse 1. Verse 9, every day. Verse 13, in the morning, he appeals to God, and he thinks that God hears his prayers and might change them. Not his prayers, but his life and circumstances. He's praying to God, not running away from God. He's going to the plumber, not to the accountant. He's going to God as a refuge, not running away from him. It's so easy to run away from him, isn't it? To get mad. I just want to get angry and run away and be like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't like you right now. Right? Or just to be sad. Like, to just, y'all might think I'm weird, but like, just to go cry in your car because of things that are happening in your life that are hard and you need to grieve over them. So he's crying out to God who has answers. And when we're experiencing grief and loss, we have to run to God, not away from him. But how do we have hope, right? Like I've, I've said hope a couple times. 
How do we have hope as Christians? And we are Christians who are experiencing pain and loss and grief. How do you have hope in the midst of grief? Well, there was someone who was cut off from darkness. I'm sorry, from cut off to darkness. There was someone who experienced it who was cut off from God. There was someone who was abandoned. There was someone who literally was put in the pit because he was dead. There was someone who understood and empathizes with your loss and grief. See, Jesus went through the ultimate darkness so that your time and my time in the darkness wouldn't have to be forever. You hear me? Jesus went through the darkness, went through dying, went through the pain, so that you and I would not have to. Jesus experienced loss. He experienced grief. And it shows us that we have a Messiah who sees and knows and has experienced it himself and who wants to tend to our grief. Okay? He wants to tend to our grief. Because here's the thing. If we don't attend to our grief, it means that we're trying to solve it or ignore it. Right? If you don't tend to it, you're trying to just solve it or just get rid of it. And what happens there is that you're not acknowledging it, you're not trying to integrate it, you're not carrying it. And when you don't do that, when you don't grieve and when you ignore the pain, it leads to anger and burnout and isolation. It leads to rage and cynicism. And it ultimately leads to your inability to have empathy. You hear that? You not dealing with your pain, you can't help someone else who's in pain then. You're, you have an inability to grow your empathy if you don't tend to your grief. Okay? Not tending to your grief bypasses the opportunity for you to help somebody else in their pain. Bypassing grief and pain, not tending to it, you bypass the opportunity to connect with Jesus. Okay? Not tending to your grief bypasses your opportunity for Jesus to meet you in your pain and in your hurt and in your loss. Not tending to your grief bypasses an opportunity for you to share in the sufferings of Christ. Tending to it means you can approach God. It means he relates to you. It means he empathizes with your pain. And you can urgently call on him and tell him how you feel, no matter how raw it is. And I'll finish with this. Like, even in the darkest psalm, the whole, of all 150, this is the darkest one. But there's hope in this one. There's an implicit hope here of God. There's an implicit hope that darkness is not the end of the story. That hope is. 
that we have hope. You go to the one who can help you, and you take your grief to someone who can empathize and show kindness and show honor and show love and help you ultimately tend to your grief. See, tending to your grief draws you to a relational connection with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Here's what I mean by that. You go to God, the Father, who has empathy, because He knows what it's like to lose a child. He also knows what it's like to lose a perfect creation to betrayal. You go to Jesus, the Son, who can relate to you through feeling isolation from his friends and feeling abandoned by his God. You go to Jesus, the Son, and he will show you kindness and honor. And he says in the New Testament, blessed are those who mourn. You know another word that you could translate that as? Grieve. Blessed are those who grieve. Or you go to the Spirit who validates and comforts you and whose presence is always with you. Always with you. Always with you in the middle of your grief. And only God, the Father, Son, and Spirit can offer these things to you without strings attached, without conditions, without, well, you got to get your act together. Then I will. No. God offers these things, Father, Son, and Spirit, to you freely by His grace through His mercy. And because of that, we have to run to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit when we are tending to our grief so that they will help us tend to our grief as well. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Son and Spirit, we praise you and thank you that you can take the brokenness and the pain and the grief in this world and change it into something else. You can change it and move it and help, um, help us have connection in it, to have um, empathy in it while we hurt, when we're angry, when we're crying in the car, when we're upset. We praise you and thank you that we can come to you day and night over and over and over. And we don't always know why you do things. That doesn't mean there's not a reason. So we praise you and thank you that we can come to you without condition through your grace and mercy. Amen.